All right. Hey, guys. Welcome. Glad to have you guys here with us at New Life. Who's excited to be at New Life Church today? Are you? Nice. Nice. I'm going to say a big hello to our North Platte campus, as well as those who are worshiping with us online today. We've got a lot to cover with the start of a brand new teaching series. And I put out a, um, just an email and some social media you know, stuff telling you that I was going to make a big announcement about change. So let's kick it off with that, okay? Because everybody likes big announcements, right? Right? Like big announcements? <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Uh, it was five years ago uh, on this Sunday that uh, I was um, allowed to begin serving by the Lord as the lead pastor of this church. And since that day, uh, I, I've just been amazed and I've been humbled by, uh, by what God's allowed us to accomplish and by the fact that he would even give me that assignment, uh, number one. Um, and so I, uh, I jokingly say, because I be- really believe that God has a sense of humor, he created all things and humor is one of the things he created. I really felt like one day uh, before that transition happened, the Lord kind of whispered into my ear uh, in, in a funny, humorous way and said, okay, Jeff, look, you got a healthy church. New Life's been established for a long time. It's had incredible leadership. So your assignment is to go there and don't screw it up, right? And I jokingly say that, but at the same time, that statement that I I honestly would say to you, I sense that that was something that the Lord spoke to me, but not in a condemning way, because that caused me to kind of chuckle. And then it caused me to instantly say, I better know the heart of Jesus for this church, because he's absolutely right. Amen? I better know the heart of Jesus for this church. God gave me some very clear uh, marching orders when we stepped into this assignment, and he honestly continues to be faithful in giving clear marching orders of vision and uh, of direction and where we're supposed to be going. And one of those assignments that God gave before I ever came here again for the second time was to plant a church within a church. We now call that church within a church. We call it the East Venue here at our Carnegie campus. It meets currently right now in our gym. <clears throat> There's people that uh, attend New Life <clears throat> that the only service they attend is in our East Venue. They've never been to our West Venue. In fact, I've literally met people that have never even been up to our lobby because of the way that they can come in and out. And so we have a much larger family. That's one of the reasons why we say we're one church in multiple locations. Not only do we have multiple services, but we have multiple locations inside of the Kearney campus. Um, and so that, that assignment uh, of launching that campus was something that the Lord put in my heart before I ever came here. In fact, I remember before I even stepped up and became the lead pastor at this church, Bob Wine, who was the former lead pastor for 30-some years of his life and served faithfully and now serves as our superintendent, And uh, him and Connie attend our church. They were just here in the West Venue in the first service. We're so grateful for them and thankful for them. Uh, They're amazing people of the Lord. Um, I remember Bob pulled me into his office and he sat me down. He goes, Jeff, look, um, you know, the writing's on the wall. God obviously has called you to be the lead pastor of this church. And it's just a matter of time somewhere within this year that, you know, this whole transition is going to take place to help set you up as a great leader. I want to know one thing that's in your heart that you really want to lead. You think it's the number one thing you need to lead so that you've got some leadership equity as you're rolling into this new position. And I remember sitting there and I didn't even hesitate in my response. I said, I said, Bob, I want to plant a church inside of the church. And he goes, he kind of leaned back in his chair and kind of gave me that, you know, like head kind of turn look, like what exactly does that mean? And so I went on to explain it to him. And if any of you know him, he asked me about, you know, five questions, more like 50. And 
After the 50 questions, he's like, you know what? I think that's exactly what we need to do at this church. And I think you're the right person to lead it. Why don't you go ahead and start it? So I actually started leading the planting of the East venue before I ever even became the lead pastor. So the East venue has been in existence for about four years now. And here's what it's helped us to do. It, it, it was so important to plant the East venue because I needed to be able to give you a visual picture of what it looks like to plant a church. I needed you here at the Carney campus before we ever branched out anywhere else. I needed you to feel the pain of it. I needed you to feel the sacrifice of it. I also wanted you to experience some of the rewards of it. And I knew that this was a healthy church and healthy churches need to reproduce healthy churches. Just like healthy Christians need to make disciples, churches that are healthy need to be planting other churches because planting churches has been proven statistically to win the lost faster than anything else that the church can do today in an organized fashion, faster than anything. So I wanted to visually give you an example of that. That's why we launched the East. The other thing that we started to learn through that process was then the logistics of worship and tech and all of the things, and we're still on a learning curve with some of this stuff, but you know, learn what does it feel like and can we, can we carry the weight of multiple campuses here at, at our church? And I would say to you that because we launched the East you know, four some years ago, that today we celebrate an average attendance on a weekend here at our Kearney campus of 950 people that walk through our doors. Why does that matter? Because it's significantly larger than it was five years ago. And one of the reasons is because we've embraced reaching out and planting churches. And those numbers are people, and those people have stories that matter to God. That's why those numbers matter to me. Amen? So I'm excited about that. The second thing that we have because we launched this four years ago is North Platte. I'm just going to straight up tell you, we would have never planted North Platte. The sacrifice would have been too great. The cost would have been too great. The learning curve would have been too steep for us if we had not first planted the East Venue. But because we did, now we have a campus 100 miles down the road, of which is live with us right now. And in 2018, this year, they've been averaging 230 people on a weekend um, at that campus. That's exciting. That's exciting. And if you've never heard me say it, the thing that really excites me about that number is that 53% of them didn't come from another church. That's, that's real transformational growth, guys. That's the kind of thing that's happening as we are planting churches. But all of this comes at a severe price. To do everything we just talked about, it costs a lot. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about people equity. Right? Some people have been serving in ministry week after week after week, carrying significant loads without a break. They only get a break when they, when they take vacation. That's dedication from people. And if that's who I'm, you know who I'm talking about, right? Because it's you and you're not going to tell anybody about it, but I know who you are and I'm super proud of you. Thank you for serving in that capacity. But the price has caused us to stretch some of our systems and our resources to a breaking point. It's like a rubber band that's been pulled to a place where the, if you pulled a little bit more, it's going to snap. And we can't continue with that current model because it's not going to allow us to accomplish God's future vision for our church. 
We're not operating with the right amount of margin. Our margin is like this. We don't have any margin. So when we dream big ideas and we dream about planting more campuses and we dream about things that, you know, others are unwilling to do, but we're willing to audaciously pray about it and God gives us those things, we can't act on them because our margin, we don't have enough margin. So it's time to ask a really difficult question. And that's this. Is it time for significant change to take place? And if it is, then has the East venue, the service that meets in the gym right now, has it accomplished what it was launched to do? Those are hard questions. In fact, I'm going to have you ask the very same questions to yourself throughout this sermon today as we kick off this message about change. But has the East venue accomplished what we launched it to do? What God birthed it in my heart, has it done it? Well, yes, it has. It has given us, it's changed the culture of our church. Our church is a culture of church planting. I hear people saying like, hey, Jeff, when are we going to plant another campus? I go out to North Platte and I see life-giving people in a church, 230 of them on average every single Sunday, and I just go, God, I praise you for that. Like, the vision is happening. So yes, we have accomplished it. It has accomplished its purpose. So now the question is, has a morning worship service in the East venue come to a necessary ending And is it time for the East and the West venues to come back together as one? And after much prayer and conversation, all of the leadership of our church in unison have said, yes, that's exactly what needs to take place. We need to do something strategic for our God-given future. We need to consolidate right now for strength. It's time to pull the troops together It's time to pull the family together here at the Kearney campus and consolidate so that we can have strength to do something. We're consolidating so that we can strike again. It's that classic moment of any army. You know, you pushed, you pushed, you pushed, and you got your supply lines stretched as far as they can, and now it's time to regroup for a second so that we can strike again. Because God's not done using this church. In fact, I would say this to you, that God's put some God-sized vision inside of my heart He's put some God-sized vision inside of my heart that I cannot share with you right now. It would be premature to tell you, but I will say this to you with integrity, that our staff are diligently working on the logistics of this soon-coming significant impact that God, I think, wants to bring to our church that is going to allow us to catch more people for Christ than maybe we ever have. And I can really see this coming from a biblical example that Jesus gave to his disciples one day when he walked out onto the shore and his disciples were fishing and they had fished all night and Jesus says these classic words. Hey, guys, have you caught any fish? And they went, how did they say it? No. We were fishing all night. So then Jesus, right? He knows how to walk on water, but there's nothing in the Bible that tells us he really knows how to fish. And he says to them, hey, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And they're like, you, you know how like, water allows audio to travel farther, it almost kind of magnifies it. You can almost hear on the shore that day the, the frustration in the boat. Like, brr, brr, I can't believe that guy told us to throw it on the other side. Who, who do you think he is? We've been fishing all night. We know what we're doing. And then they finally throw the net on the other side of the boat, and they catch so many fish that the Bible says it's about to sink the boat because they were willing to change. They were willing to do something they had never done before. And I'm going to tell you straight up right now, 
that the vision from the Lord for this church is going to cause us to have to throw the net on the other side of the boat. We're going to do some things that other churches have yet to do in this area. We're going to throw the net on the other side of the boat. Why? Because God's called us to be fishers of men. And we want the boat to be full. Amen? Amen? We want the boat to be full. Like you want your seat to be taken. Amen? You want your parking spot to be taken. Right on? That's what you're saying. You're saying, I want to show up to church 30 minutes early so I can get a parking spot and I get the seat I want. That's what you're saying. All right, so when I say amen, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And that's what you're saying because that's the mission of Christ. And he's given us some real strategic plans, but we can't do it until we bring the east to a necessary ending. So here's what that necessary ending looks like. It looks like this. Next Sunday is the last service in the gym. And then after that, Um, June 17th, the Sunday following it, we're going to be right here on this stage and we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate modern day church planting pioneers. You can read books about people who planted churches a hundred years ago in the United States and they are incredible stories. People that have gone out and planted like this church planted back in the early 1950s. Right, You would read about those kind of people and be like, man, it would be so exciting to be able to be on the cutting edge, on the front lines. Well, guys, we don't have to read books about what happened in the past. We're going to celebrate right here on this stage modern-day church-planting pioneers that are part of our church that have been giving their blood and their sweat and their tears in our East venue. And because of them, we've already planted one church in North Platte, and there's more to come. And I praise God for those people. And we're going to celebrate them right here. It's going to be awesome. I am so glad we are one church in multiple locations. One church. One church. So this series on change, all right, you got that. In talking about change, every single one of you has something in your life that needs to change. Something in your life needs to change so you can become more like Jesus Christ. You can become more like God's word. Just like we need to make changes here corporately, you and I have to make changes personally. And in those changes, there's changes of thought of our mind, changes of actions, changes of habits, changes even of our beliefs, or possibly even change in your structure of how you work your own day. But something in your life needs to change. But most people are resistant to the idea of change. (laughs) But they're all secretly, they all secretly love the change after it's happened, right? Right? Like, oh, I can't believe that you guys are knocking that wall down. And then after you knock the wall down and it's all beautiful and everything's done, they're like, wow, this looks really good. Love this. But they resisted it beforehand, loved it afterwards, normally in more of a secretive type of manner. That's just humanity. That's all of us I'm talking about. So the bottom line, though, is this, that life is a series of changes from birth to death. You remember the tombstone kind of illustration where you've got the dash? And you remember what the dash stands for? Right? It's got, you got the, the birth date and the death date and you got the dash. And the dash stands for what? It stands for life. It stands for your life. It's like the dash represents everything in your life. And one of those things that that dash represents is thousands and thousands of changes from birth all the way to death. So if we're going to talk about change, today we're going to start with the idea of what do I need to do to prepare to change? What do I need to do today to prepare to change? And then the next sequential weeks will build on that principle to come up with a biblical example of what it really looks like to change. 
So preparing to change. The first question you need to address in preparing to change is, does God like change? Not do you like change. I already know the answer to that one. Right? Not, do, not does Jeff Baker like change. You already know the answer to that one. But does God like change? So once you get the foundation theologically of God and his God-like change, then it's more easy for you and I to line up with what it is that God wants to change in our life. So, but the answer to this God-like change is not just a simple yes or a no. The answer to that is that God implements change. Like God is the originator of change. It's not so easy to answer yes or no that God likes change. He actually implements change. And there's a big difference in what God implements change in between mission and method. Mission and method. The mission of God never changes. It's what Hebrews 13 tells us when it says these words that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And some people will take that verse and misinterpret that verse into the fact that they say God doesn't like change. Because look, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, you're, you're not interpreting that scripture correctly. There's a mission of God, and then there's the methods of God. This verse is talking about the mission of God. Praise the Lord that he doesn't change. That he's pure, he's righteous, he's holy, he's a just God. He's a God full of love, he's a God full of grace. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. And if that ever changes, your life and my life is not even worth existing anymore. But I'm going to tell you right now with an assurance and 100% confidence, and if I could make it technically 101, I would do it, that God's mission is never going to change. That's what that verse is talking about. You can put your life in his hands and you can trust him forever. But the methods of God, they do change. In fact, they've, we have historic record of the methods of God changing since humans walked on this earth and since the moment that God started to speak and the universe went into existence. That the creativity of God causes change and the methods of God change. And many times you and me, we don't like change because we get method and mission mixed up. And we think that we're, we're messing with the mission when all we're doing is messing with the method. The mission of God never changes. And pray with me, all right? Because we need prayer. The mission of new life never changes. It's to see people find Jesus and lives change through Christ. That's the mission. But the method of how we do that is always changing, just like God is. Just like God is. Let's look at some of the methods of God that have been changing from the beginning of time. Like science Scientists believe through their studies that the universe and some of their measurement abilities believe that the universe itself is still expanding to this very second. And it expands fairly rapidly. So what God spoke back at the beginning, let there be a universe, not even let there be light. Like that statement came way before let there be light. Like let there be this universe that the expansion of God's very word that was spoken that day is still taking place to this very moment and stars are still being born and we scientifically know that. We also know that scientists have estimated that there's about 100 billion galaxies that are observable by our, by our technology through our telescopes today 
and they're predicting that with the new technology that's getting ready to come online, that we might find an additional 100 billion, making it 200 billion galaxies like the Milky Way galaxy that our solar system exists inside of, this massive galaxy, 100 billion of them. We know we're there right now and we're projecting 200 billion of them. Like that blows my mind. And here's the reason why, because there's not a single one of them that's like the other. The change of God. Hey, I like that. That's really cool. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to, wow, wow, man. I like that one too. I'm going to change it up. I'm going to make this one over here. And then he just, whoosh. And he flings them uh, out, into, out into the universe. Scientists, um, are, they are discovering solar systems inside of these galaxies. A star with like planets that are revolving around it. And they have this unique ability to like know the chemistry that makes up these little planets that revolve around these suns that are hundreds of thousands of light years away from Earth. And guess what? In all of their observation and all of these exoplanets they found, they haven't discovered one of them that has the same chemical makeup of Earth. That's a lot of change. That creates a lot of change. And just dial it down to our solar system. Our solar system right now has eight planets and a few microplanets. One of them, reluctantly called Pluto. So, since I'm not politically correct, we have nine planets in our solar system. But here's one thing that we cannot debate. There's 157 moons. Like, how significant is a moon? Right? 157 of them in just our solar system. Like, we know details about these things, and not one of those moons is identical to another. And studies estimate that there have been 107 billion humans that have walked on Earth since day one, Adam and Eve. 107 billion of them, and guess what? You already know the answer. They're all different. And you know what blows my mind? Is if these new, these new telescopes do what the scientists say that they're going to do, that we will have discovered more galaxies in the universe than humans that have even ever walked on planet Earth. Now, what does that tell you about how big God is? What does that tell you about how much change God brings? Now, just keep dialing it. Keep dialing it, right? Uh, dial it down to animals. And God just like takes DNA and he's like, you know, I'm going to twist it just a little bit like this. I'm going to add this like C here and add that T and that G, which we put those on there. He doesn't call them that, right? And, and he just goes, here's, here's a strand. And that strand's going to make this, like an anteater. You don't even know whether this thing's coming or going. I mean, seriously. You don't know if that's a tail with a growth on it and a big beard. I mean, it's hard to tell. It's an anteater. But then you compare that to, you know, an octopus. Nobody wants to get caught in the grips of that thing. That's some, that's some change that happened right there between those two. And then this next one, people love this, right? Like the parrot. But man, you let that thing chomp down your finger, boom, it's gone. It's like Iron Chef to the max. Gone. And then from there to a little baby elephant. Oh, I wanted to do that for you because I wanted to show you this next thing that God created, which is called the dung beetle. All right. So and I thought this might be my only chance in all of sermon history to get the dung beetle into a sermon. Check. All right. There we go. So the creativity of God brings change to us. It brings change. And just think about not just the animals, but think about the dinosaurs that were here before that we scientifically know existed. Like those things blew my mind. And I got two grandsons that are praying with all of their heart. They might even fast if you ask them to for the real Jurassic Park to come online. It's like, here's heaven 
And you go, you want heaven or the real Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park, right? And then Sonic probably comes second. And then heaven, somewhere in there. Like, they just want to see this kind of stuff because God's made so many changes. And talking about change, those dinosaurs aren't even around anymore. And then we live here in Nebraska, and we got four seasons. And then you talk about, you know, in the Bible, like, put we into the, into the word human. And how many times has God changed the method of how we worship him? We, we walked with him in the garden. Then we met with him on the mountaintop. Right? And then we built a tent by his instructions and built an ark where we would come and worship him and we would bring sacrifices of the first fruit of our animals and grain to him. And then by his own instruction, we built the temple in Jerusalem where we went and we worshiped him. And then hundreds of years later, by his own command, his own son, Jesus Christ, came and walked the earth. And after his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, we walked with him. And then we waited in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. And then we walked out of the upper room and we scoured the earth and we started planting life-giving churches that brought hope to communities. And now we use tablets to read God's word and to attend churches that are around the world. I would suggest to you that God keeps changing the method of how we worship him because the methods keep changing. So is God a God of change? And if this was a courtroom, I would say to you, the evidence is in the change God has already implemented. So it might sound crazy to you today, but these examples that I've given you are just methods from God, and they're all going to change again. Read with me in 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment since every, everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we live? Looking forward to the day of God and, and uh, hurrying it along. Looking forward to the change and actually being a part like going, God, come on, bring the change, man. Bring the change. Bring the change. How often are we in that situation, right? On that day, he, God, God, he will set heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we... We're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. We're excited, like giddy about the change that God's going to bring with a new heaven and a new earth as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Guys, I'm telling you, everything you know right now, the methods that we, we embrace, that we consider to be so important, we call them the mission, God's going to burn them away and then destroy them all. But here's something to be noted about this passage. The holiness of God's never going to change. Dad never said that. It always said that God's still God. He's still on the throne. Why? Because that's his mission. But the world, as we know, it's going to change. It's going to burn away. Even the heavens are going to burn away. Why? Because it's method. It also tells us that the love of God isn't going to change. It doesn't say God's going to like, I'm going to burn up the earth and burn up the heavens. And by the way, that's when you guys, like, you're, you're done with me. No, it's like you're going to embrace this new thing. The love of God being displayed, that doesn't change. Why? Because it's the mission of God. But the church and the way it is now and the way we worship God is radically going to change. Why? Because it's method of God. There's a big difference between the mission and the method. But listen to me carefully. Our human instinct is to resist change. Just ponder it with me for a second. God is a God of radical change. But our human instinct is to resist change. So where in the world does that thought come from then? 
It cannot come from a God who embraces radical change. And when we're talking about the spiritual change that needs to take place in your life, if there's a resistance to change, it can only come from one place. And I would say to you that that voice is Satan's voice, and he doesn't want you to become what God created you to be. So Satan deposits the fear of change in your heart. Satan will also deposit the resistance to change, and he will deposit the words of gossip that come with change in your mouth, and he'll deposit the rebellion in your heart that causes us to hold on to the past and not embrace the new things that God wants to do in our life. God is a God of change. So to prepare for change, we have to eliminate the enemy's voice because he's still speaking the same lies to us today as he was in the garden. Take a look. But I'm afraid... Paul says to the the Corinthian church, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve on day number whatever that was, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That just like Satan lied to Eve and deceived her with his cunning words, it transformed her thoughts. Church, I'm suggesting to you that the enemy is still deceiving in a cunning way to transform our thoughts away from what God wants to do and keep us locked up. So here at New Life, it's one of the reasons why we have this core value. Growing people change. The word change is in there for a reason, because growing people change. It's another reason why our mission statement says, see people find Jesus and lives changed. Why? Because this is God's word. 2 Peter 3, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There has to be change that's coming. We need to embrace what God's doing in our personal lives. All right, I got it. There's, some, there's a lot of other change that's happening in this world that we need to question and ask the hard questions to. I got it. I understand that. I'm talking about spiritual change inside of our hearts. The enemy would love to put the fear in there and the resistance and, you know, the rebellion in there. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Because God's got some crazy cool stuff that he wants to change in your life so that you can become the men and the women that God has planned for you. So who implements change? God implements change. And if you've been following Christ for a long period of time and you haven't experienced significant spiritual change in your life recently, you're in trouble. So when you sense that the whisper of God is speaking a word of change to your spirit, you and me, we need to work with the Holy Spirit to see the change through to completion. Because if you reject the change, then you position yourself against God. Historically, it's never worked out well to position yourself against God. Exodus chapter 5 through 14, Moses meets with Pharaoh. He comes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, look, I got a word from God. He says this, basically, Pharaoh, it's time to change. Let my people go. What does Pharaoh do? He goes, no, I'm not going to let your people go. You guys aren't going to some foreign land to worship your God. You're staying right here with us. So then God says, okay, well, then I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I am God and that you better line up with me. And so what does he do? He sends the first plague, turns the water into blood. Pharaoh's like, okay, great. What else you got? Okay, well, then frogs come. Frogs, they just take over the whole place. Then Pharaoh finally says, okay, get rid of the frogs, and I'll let your people go. But as soon as the frogs are gone, guess what happens to Pharaoh's heart? Right back. No, you're not going. So then God sends a plague of gnats, and then a plague of flies. And Pharaoh says, enough. 
Okay, worship your God, but worship him here in Egypt. Well, that's not going to work. Right? God said, go to the land I'm giving you. So then Pharaoh once again said, okay, well, go worship your God, but just don't go too far. And once the flies were gone, Pharaoh changed his mind again. So then the fifth, sixth, and seventh plague came. Livestock died. Boils broke out all over people. And incredible hail killed people and destroyed animals and plants and all kinds of crazy stuff. And Pharaoh once again said, okay, let it stop. And once it stops, I'll let you go. But he changed his mind again. Then Pharaoh said, okay, well, let the men go, but the women and the children have to stay. But that wouldn't work. So the eighth and the ninth plagues came, the locusts came, and the darkness came. And then Pharaoh said once again, you know, well, okay, you can go, but you can't take your livestock. Well, that's still not going to work because it's not God's plan. So the tenth plague came, firstborn son dies. Pharaoh finally says, get out of here, Israelites. And then regrets it. He chases them down with an army full of chariots right into the middle of the Red Sea and it collapses in around them and destroys the army. I'm saying to you today from biblical example of history, it's never good to position yourself against the change God wants to bring in your life. And Pharaoh is a great example of what we do with change. Okay, well, hey, the, the flies are gone. Okay, we don't need to change anymore. Like the problem subsided. You know, like our bank account leveled back out again. We don't need to really get a budget. Like we got this. And then months again, well, we're back in the same problem. Okay, I need to change. I need to change. And then all of a sudden something happens. Oh, okay, I'm not going to change. That's exactly who we are, guys. So to prepare to change, listen to these couple of thoughts. Okay, just listen. To prepare to change. Be honest about the thing that God wants to change in your life. Just be honest about it. Most of you already know what it is that God wants to change in your life. If you don't know what it is, then maybe use this filter. What's limiting you and what's controlling you? Because whatever those two things are, that's, that's probably where God's working most closely at in your life. And when you identify, you know, and you're honest about the thing that needs to change, then don't let fear, pride, or someone else's opinion keep you from being honest. Some of you need to tell somebody, this needs to change in my life to help hold you accountable. So identify what God wants to change in our life. That's step number one in preparing to change. If you don't know what that is, then you're gonna wanna spend some time this week in prayer going, God, show me, show me, because I guarantee you, God already knows and he wants to tell you. He's not trying to hold it from you. Secondly, though, once you know the area of your life that needs to change, do something with me that you've probably never done before in your life. Close your eyes and visualize what your life will be like once you make the change, right? Like, wow, I could actually fit into those pants. Wow, I, I, would, I would get my work done and spend more time with my family. Like, wow, that, that addiction, it wouldn't, it wouldn't keep burning a hole in my pocket. Like, man, I, I would be more joyful. I, I'd be like, close your eyes and picture what your life's gonna be like on the other side of change. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Change Before You Have To by Rob Ketterling. Isn't that an interesting title, Change Before You Have To? Because isn't it true that most of us will change when we have to than before we have to? That's what this whole series is really about. And he says in that book that change happens at the intersection of hope and opportunity. Well, guys, listen. Hope is visualizing what your life's gonna look like after the change. The opportunity, and don't miss it, is when the Holy Spirit whispers to you and he shows you what really needs to change in your life. So visualize. So you got 
the, you got the thing that needs to change. Visualize what your life's going to look like after that, okay? And then start the change then once you get those two things. So if you know what those two things are, and you can do that today, start the change today. But don't give up if the change doesn't happen as fast as you think it needs to. Because what we need to really break is we need to break the avoidance trap. Like what we do is we go, oh, that needs to change. Yeah, I'll, I, I'll get to that later. And we avoid it and we go do something else. We need to break that. So start now. Identify, visualize, start. Okay? Because the other thing we need to break is the, is the binge trap. This is kind of what I'm calling it. The binge trap. Here's how the binge trap works. Okay, I know I need to lose weight. I'm going to start on Monday. What do we do on Sunday? Binge, baby. Like, eat whatever you want, right? Like, I'm going to change my work schedule next month. And so we work our tail to the bone. Like, anytime we're on a binge trajectory, it's going to make it really, really hard to turn around and change. Here's the reason why. It's like an asteroid heading towards the sun. It's going to pick up speed, pick up speed, pick up speed, pick up speed. Like, this is just pulling it in. And you are binging away from the very thing God wants us to run to. So we need to break the avoidance trap and the binge trap. Identify, visualize, start. Are you with me? Why don't you stand with me? That's prepare to change. One of the things that many people around the world do in preparing for change is they pray a simple prayer called the serenity prayer. You find it in Alcoholics Anonymous, Sex Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. became really popular then, but over 100 years ago, a theologian wrote this prayer, and it became something that really started to identify as ministry. And then it took off, because people could identify with it. So what I would like to do with you today in wrapping up this sermon is I would ask you to pray the serenity prayer with me to the Lord. Contemplate the words as we say it. It's going to be on the screen. Are you ready? Say this with me. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen? God, give us the wisdom to change the things that need to change and the discernment to know the difference between the things we cannot change and shouldn't change. Mission, right, and method. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this church and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you're in complete control and you're leading and you're guiding us. And although we can walk through difficult waters sometimes and although we need to make big significant changes, in our personal lives and in our church. You're faithful to lead us. And when you speak, we should follow. You'll lead us out to walk on the waters where we've never walked before. You'll lead us up onto the mountaintop, Lord, to experience things of your presence like we've never experienced before. And you will take us by the hand and you will walk us through the valley of change. 
a place that could be intimidating, a place that could be fearful, a place where it's uncertain. We don't know what's around the corner, but we know this. You're the one who led us here. It must be good. So we trust you, Lord. We say yes to you. And may you give us the strength and the wisdom to change the things in our life that need to change so that we can line up with you and your will more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen.